You're listening to The Good GP, the podcast for busy GPs. Hi, this is Tim from The Good GP. This is the first of a two-part recording with Dr. Michael Millard from This Way Up Clinic on the topic of internet-based CBT. Today's episode covers an area that's become increasingly prominent over the course of the pandemic, internet-based CBT. Our guest today is Dr. Michael Millard, a consultant psychiatrist based in Sydney. Mike is the current director of the Clinical Research Unit for Anxiety and Depression. Many of you would be aware of CRUFAD's online clinic called This Way Up Clinic. Mike, welcome to the podcast. Great to be here. Mike, tell us a bit about the journey of This Way Up and how it's become one of the largest online-based CBT providers. Absolutely. And it's great to have the chance to talk about crossing the digital divide, which I'm hoping that by the end of our conversation, many of your listeners will be adventurous enough to do so. So I guess why we're talking about it, and I go back to some of the more humbling stats that are out there. We're talking about high prevalence disorders, so anxiety and depression. And of course, the sobering bit is that the numbers say that it's one in two of us in our life that are going to have a clinically significant experience with either anxiety or depression. So if it's not you, it's someone you love. And the numbers get worse. So it's 50% of people who would qualify for a diagnosis, only 50% of them would get any help. And when they get help, only one in three gets a treatment that we would call evidence-based. And the average time that someone's managing one of these disorders is eight years before they're brave enough to reach out and get help. So this is a situation that's, of course, been made a lot worse by COVID. And we've seen increasing levels of distress across the community. And we would have all seen that playing out in our consulting rooms and in our family, our friends, and quite possibly even ourselves. The other things that I generally like to touch on before I jump into talking about this way up is there was a wonderful report that's been done by Lived Experience Australia that really looked at the carers and consumers' experience of psychology or reaching out for help. And the key things that came out of it were that mostly, and it was 60% of the respondents, were all prescribed medication before it was even offered that they could be referred for psychological therapy. Now, once they got referred, a whole lot of barriers became very clear. So the key ones that pop out are things like the availability of a counsellor or a psychologist, the cost to see the psychologist, and of course, the wait times to see the psychologist. And that was reflected in both what the carers and the consumers reported. And the last thing that I'll mention, and there's just in one of the quotes that gives you the colour of this, it's, Services need to understand what it takes for a person to reach out for help. Then after getting up the courage to be told that there's X number of weeks to wait is really disheartening and off-putting. And the other one that I'll mention is that cost kept them away from accessing psychological support. The mental health care plans still have a gap fee. And I think that when we're looking at mental health and when we're talking about mental health, we don't talk enough about what those costs might be. In this report, the average gap fee per session for a psychologist was $176 per session. The APS rate for a psychology appointment is $267 per appointment. I had a glance about, I guess, the psychiatric equivalents to throw in the mix and The AMA fee for a first appointment with a psychiatrist is $440. 
and a follow-up appointment is $395 for a, for a more than 40-minute appointment. So when we're looking at the mental health ecosystem, as practitioners, these are really important things for us to be aware of. And the other important thing to be aware of is the wait times. I often start with one of our consumer stories that talks about a lady who had a relationship breakup after many, many, many years. And as we do, which got into her GP and she got a referral. And the story was that it would take seven to eight weeks for her to be able to get in to see a psychologist. Now, thankfully, at that time, she had come across our program and she commenced our program. And she goes on to write about how she worked through each of the modules in the time that she was waiting to get in to see one of the psychologists. And she paired the modules. The quote is along the lines of, when there was no one there for me except for the grief line, so one of our wonderful crisis lines, she was able to do the program in the privacy of her own home, learn some psychological skills and strategies, and get through day by day. And I think it's a really nice example of the pairing of the types of interventions that we're about to be talking about and the way that they might fit in to what we're doing already. So we're here to talk about This Way Up. So This Way Up is a digital mental health service, probably Australia's largest one now, if we look at the numbers. And we specialise in using cognitive behavioural therapy to treat anxiety, depression and stress-related conditions. So as Tim mentioned, we are based at St Vincent's Public Hospital in Sydney and we're a partnership between the University of New South Wales and St Vincent's Sydney, which sits within the Clinical Research Unit for Anxiety and Depression. Now why that's significant is the Clinical Research Unit for Anxiety and Depression was founded in 1983 and of course a lot of clinicians will be very familiar with firstly the management of mental disorders which was a wonderful book that was produced and is almost in every mental health service across the country. And the other thing that people are most familiar with are probably the treatment manuals that came out of Crufad in the 80s and 90s. Of course, this was a period where cognitive behavioural therapy was first coming onto the scene and first becoming popular as a treatment for anxiety disorders and depression. Crufad took what they were doing in their face-to-face -face clinic and they firstly manualized the treatment that they were doing. The second step was that the manuals were then turned into a group program. And the reason behind this is of course that it was a very popular clinic with a very long waiting list. So going from face-to-face -face treatment to group-based treatment using cognitive behavioral therapy, and then what they did is they released the manuals. So, and I know all sorts of practitioners, certainly when I was a very junior practitioner, I was using the manuals when I was doing therapy with my patients when I was working in general practice. The next step was really in 1998, when along came something called the internet. And the Gavin, Professor Andrews, who many people are aware of, thought, uh, how are we gonna take what we're doing and make it more accessible to people? who aren't accessing evidence-based treatment, as I mentioned at the beginning. So they took the manuals, they illustrated them, and they put them on the internet. And the original form of the service was actually, we were called Climate, or the Clinician's Mate, a uniquely Australian name. The issue was that in the next couple of years, climate and change was to become known as something very different. <laughs> And uh, the decision was made in 2012 to rebrand and relaunch as our current form is This Way Up. And from then, 
we've really been working hard to revise the content that we provide to build our relationship with firstly our service users and of course our clinicians and the range of disorders that we treat. In terms of how that's played out, it had been a very hard slog and we've spent a lot of time talking about why these programs are helpful and how they're helpful. And then of course, along came COVID and overnight we had a 2000% increase in the number of service users that we were, I guess, treating. And that's gone on to have a significantly uh, increase. We're about 600% higher than we were before. And these translate into, I think we're just about to cross over to our 160,000th service user. And of course, we have a community of 27,000 clinicians who are integrating the This Way Up programs into their routine care. That 27,000 represents one in three Australian GPs are registered to use This Way Up. Uh, one in three clinical psychologists in Australia are registered to use This Way Up and one in three psychiatrists. Yeah, thanks, Mike. It's such an interesting story. And I think perhaps the important thing is that that bank of evidence is there. It's a clinic that's been around for a long while and has a great track record in, in treating patients. And particularly now, that ability to provide access to patients is just so important. Absolutely. You've brought up a really important issue in the area, and that really is around the evidence base for interventions. I think on my last count, there was something like 400,000 different mental health apps in the App Store. And how do you know what's helpful and, and what's not? One of the things that we're very proud of, and I think Australia should be very proud of, is that the digital treatments that we offer in Australia are among the most evidence-based in the entire world. In terms of specifically for, for this way up, every one of our disorder programs has gone through a randomized control trial that is exactly the way that medication has been tested. So our randomized control trials have then actually been independently replicated to, to show that it's not just us that say that they work, it's that it's in other environments. It's actually, there's a beautiful replication of our depression trial that was done by Harvard over in the States that we're, we're particularly proud of. So when we say something works, we mean it does. And then because we're, a, a, I guess, a research unit and very passionate about that aspect, we of course publish effectiveness trials. So that's the real world data that says, look, we're not testing the stuff in an RCT now, because we all know that RCTs are very, uh, can be very curated environments. We're able to look in the system and see the way that the outcome measures are coming through as people are using the live system. And then we publish that. So that's all published in journals. We've published it prior to COVID. We've actually just done a whole series of papers that outlined our experience of how the programs have worked in COVID. So we're very proud of that. And I think that as we move forward and as people become more aware of the way the different types of, of interventions, treatments, tools that are available, as clinicians, it becomes more and more important for us to understand which ones actually are safe, which ones are effective, which ones are trusted, which ones take things like patient privacy seriously which ones have systems in process to maintain data security and cyber security. And all of these things will become more important as time goes on. 
And one of the things that I'd encourage you to look out for is that Australia is on the verge or about to be introducing the digital mental health standards to reflect how important these sorts of issues are through the Australian Safety and Quality Commission. So hopefully soon you'll be able to go onto the Head to Health website and all of the interventions that that website recommends will be governed by the digital mental health standards. So as clinicians, I think that's very important for us to know. Mm, absolutely. Just give us a rundown on the, on the metrics around effectiveness of your courses and how it compares with conventional tools, Mike. I frame it in the fact, and it's really nice to compare it to other interventions. So the first one that I talk about is that we talk about a thing called effect sizes. So there's large, medium and small effect sizes that are really around 0.2, 0.5 or 0.8 represents small, medium and large. So psychological therapy in general, when you look at all of the literature, has a large effect size of 0.8. So when you are talking to academic psychiatrists or psychologists, it comes out that the, in the broader sense, psychological therapy all has a similar effect size. So it doesn't necessarily matter what the frame is, patients will find it helpful. So that's an interesting thing about psychological therapy. So CBT works. Now, the shocking thing is that internet-based CBT also works. And as a clinician, it breaks my heart to say that it's actually equally as effective as face-to-face -face CBT, which blows my mind, really. And the reason I think that that's the case is cognitive behavioral therapy is a very didactic therapy. So when you go in to see a psychologist and when you go in to see a classically trained CBT psychologist, they have the whiteboard out, they'll write the agenda, and it's all about teaching someone the skills that, are, that they're then able to use to be able to take out, do experiments in real life and change their behavior. So it's very didactic. So the internet does that beautifully. So we use the internet to teach the skills and then it's exactly the same process where the patient's able to go out and use them in real life. So RCTs show that it works, meta-analyses show that it works, network meta-analyses show that it works. So it's actually, I, I have to say that as far as mental health treatments go, it's one of the most evidence-based treatments on the planet, which I think is fascinating. And that's, that's backed up with the fact that you can look in the system. I know right now there's 17,000 people who are being treated by this way up. And I can tell in the system now, because they're all doing outcome measures as they work their way through the program, that the programs are working exactly as they're supposed to be working. So we talk about 80% of people who complete the program have a significant benefit and 50% would no longer qualify for the clinical disorder that they started the program with. Now, that's psychological therapy. I throw it in the mix in terms of other treatments. So antidepressants probably have an effect size of 0.3, which is small. And the more that I guess the literature is being looked at, the smaller that effect size is getting, which is quite fascinating when we're looking at SSRIs. And we all are aware that that's a bit of an artifact of the fact that the drug companies were a bit shonky with the data in, throughout I guess the you know 80s 90s and early 2000s so again another number that uh, i guess people are used to is number needed to treat so cbt has a number needed to treat of two um, and that's crazy 
So antidepressants have a number needed to treat. So I think the last thing I saw was sertraline has a number needed to treat of 11 and the other SSRIs have a number needed to treat of 13. And that's quite shocking when we think about the way that we actually practice. And of course, we all know 50% of people who have prescribed the medications are non-compliant and stop it. Or don't, or don't even start it, but the, for the people who do start it, it's only going to work for 30% of people on your first run. So we've got this cascade of prescribing that we start seeing. So it's actually, these are important things for us to think about. And the other one that I kind of throw around is that, again, with face-to-face psychological therapy, if we just go back to the idea of cost, So a treatment program through This Way Up is a full dose of cognitive behavioural therapy. So generally, for anxiety or depression, we've built it into six modules. That then is compared to probably 10 face-to-face sessions in the data. So that would be 10 face-to-face sessions of cognitive behavioural therapy with a clinical psychologist. I go back to that start at the beginning at $267 a pop, that's $2,670 worth of treatment that an internet-based course is the equivalent of. So I think that these are important things to think about when thinking about how am I going to introduce something like this into my practice and how is it going to be helpful for patients? We'll talk a little bit later in terms of how to fit it into what you're doing And I think that the mental health care plan is the perfect opportunity to be able to do that. And maybe I'll touch base a little bit later on the way that it might fit into that process. Thanks, Mike. Mind-boggling statistics there. One thing you did sort of touch on really briefly is the idea that perhaps there's a real power to a clinician prescribing or referring a course in that it's a, a validation to the patient that, hey, this works and this is worthwhile completing. Yes, And our research shows that that is the most important moment on that patient's journey. (laughs) So, and that's for any treatment. It's no different with this treatment. And I find often that a lot of people, they, they don't particularly know the difference between what is a full digital treatment, what is a single use digital tool, what is a fact sheet, and what is, you know, just a referring to a website. And it's actually, it demonstrates how complex the area is. And each of those things is very different. So we did a a study into uh, what's called CBT-mindedness. So again, if you believe something is going to be helpful, it will be. And if it's explained nicely about how it will complement the other things that you're doing, then the the patient will get much more out of it. And once they understand why they're doing something, they're much more likely just to work through the program and let the program do its magic. This is a question I've mulled over quite a bit. Who's a good candidate for internet-based CBT? And I guess the flip side, who's perhaps not a good candidate? We know that 20% of people will not benefit from CBT, full stop. We're not sure why. Incidentally, they're the same people who probably will respond better to antidepressants. The next thing I'd say is that this is probably an artifact of stepped care where they're like, okay, there's mild, moderate and severe. So obviously, online programs must be only helpful for mildly unwell people. And that's actually not the case. So the programs are helpful for patients who are having a mild, moderate or severe disorder. So for people who have a mild disorder, an online program might be all they need. And that's great because that'll take them out of the loop 
for all the other people who are waiting to get into face-to-face -face treatment. So for mild and moderate, maybe all they need. I look at it like if you're in the moderate category, I'd throw digital CBT into face-to-face -face CBT. So it's added and it works beautifully when you do that. So if we just look at the structural problems, again, in our mental health system, if you manage to get into a psychologist, you like them, you can afford them, and then you get to the end of the appointment and they're like, oh, I can't see you for three weeks. In my experience, when people are managing significant disorders, they need to be seen frequently. So everyone in our clinic at St. Vincent's comes through to us, we see them weekly. So for people who can't get in to do that, we one of the wonderful ways that these treatments are used is in blended care. So you have your face-to-face -face appointment. In between your face-to-face -face appointment, your patient works through one or two of the modules. So you get the computer to do the heavy lifting. And then when they come in to see you again in three weeks' time, you're able to help them to apply the skills, which is the higher learning. So you're not wasting your time in teaching the skills. You're using your time to A, get to know the patient, and B, to be able to help them to apply the skills. So it's a much more powerful way of getting more out of that therapeutic process. Patients love it because they are able to sit there at home and be able to read through the stuff and absorb it in a way and a speed that they can. So I think that the, the flexibility around how we integrate the programs into care is very important. The other thing I'll say is that people ask me, but Mike, you know, what about for people who are severely unwell? Surely an online program would not be helpful. Well, actually it is. So I run the, the, the New South Wales Tertiary Anxiety Clinic and I see a lot of people with OCD. I see a lot of people with really severe OCD and that's an immensely debilitating condition. So for me, my treatment plan is, yes, face-to-face -face CBT, we want to help you. Yes, online CBT, so that when you're not seeing me, you're able to get in, have an understanding of what other people's experiences has been, learn more about the disease or disorder, let your family do the online CBT course so they can learn how to help you and they can learn about what you're experiencing. And yes, I'm going to give you medication, whether it's an SSRI or clomipramine. So it's just that we add interventions, but the digital can complement it right across the spectrum. The people who are not suitable for CBT or internet-based CBT are the ones where you just wouldn't think that this would be your first up intervention. So I think if someone is very acutely suicidal, you need to manage that first. So that doesn't mean that you don't use the program. It just means that you need to act around managing whatever is going on there and supporting them in whatever way is needed. We don't recommend the programs for people who have bipolar disorder. Mm. The reason for that is that firstly, they're excluded from the trials when we've looked at depression. And secondly, if they're unstable in their bipolar disorder, CBT, or not this particular variant of CBT, wouldn't be the treatment that you would recommend. Now, our colleagues over at Mindspot have done an interesting study where they've looked back at people who have been through their service and have been taking lithium. And by looking at that, they have assumed that they would have bipolar disorder, which is reasonable. And you know what? Programs work. So they actually found benefit for a group that we, we haven't been able to look at.
Other groups, of course, people who are acutely psychotic, again, it's just not the intervention. We do have a whole lot of clinicians who use the programs for comorbid disorders for people with psychosis. So people with psychosis still have difficulty with social anxiety. People with psychosis still have that. So we manage the psychosis. It's stable. We have case managers who sit there with their patients and work through the programs and they still benefit. Our homeless health service uses our programs. And it's really a reflection around uh, there's not a lot of other services or options that are out there. So with appropriate support, often we have a lot of projects where it's peer support who are helping people through the programs and helping them to be able to access it. So it's a really nice way of adding specialist psychological therapy to less specialized environments. The last one that I'll come up with that I often get asked about is substance use disorders. And again, the reason why it's not helpful in substance use disorders is people usually can't remember. So if you're intoxicated with something, you, you won't be able to engage in this type of cognitive behavioral therapy you'll need to do where it's designed to face your fears and to be able to, uh, I guess, learn other ways of managing your distress. So deal with the substance use disorder first and then use the program to add a range of more helpful coping mechanisms into that person's toolkit. And again, then we see uh, they work beautifully. And so often where we're talking about all these different situations is it's either the online program or nothing. Um, and it ain't good enough to have nothing. Thanks for that, Mike. That's a really comprehensive discussion on This Way Up Clinic and our internet-based CBT. The website is thiswayup.org.au uh, and I would encourage GPs to get out there and give it a go.